Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, please would you turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And this morning we are picking up from where we left off last week uh, in verse 11. Last week we saw the wonder and the beauty of the grace of God by which we have been saved. And how with his great love with which he has loved us, he has destroyed this great divide that was between us and him. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God rescued us. This death of division, which is so prominent within Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is the most fundamental way in which we ought to understand ourselves. The question, are you saved, is the most important one that we could ever consider. But as I mentioned last week, the passage which now follows considers the death of another division, the division between people. We might consider it like this. If last week we considered the vertical dimension of our salvation between us and God, this week we will consider the horizontal dimension of our salvation between one another. And so with Bibles open, let us read Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and then I'll pray and we'll dive into it together. Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Father, please now would you soften our hearts and open our minds so that we might hear your word, receive it by faith, and be so changed by it so that we would be more like your son, Jesus. Father, we utterly need your help in this. So please send your spirit amongst us so that it would not be a mere man speaking to your people today, but that you would speak to your people. 
Help us, Father, to see our Lord Jesus more clearly so that we might love him more dearly. In his precious name do we ask these things. Amen. As a human race, we are really good at creating divisions, aren't we? We separate things to create order from chaos. Uh, Like, if there was no special tray in my cutlery drawer to keep the knives together and the forks together and the spoons together, I'm not sure how I could function properly. It would be chaos. We like to have our work life over here between nine and five, and then our family life apart from that. I think whoever it was that invented colour bond fencing would have made an absolute fortune by now, keeping one property apart from another. We divide things to make things easy for us, don't we? To make it clear-cut, to make it comfortable. There's even something beautiful, I think, that reflects God's glory in his creation when we see the, the sun rise or fall to divide night from day, or when we see animals thrive in their natural designated habitat. There is something inherently godly, I think, and wonderful about division and order. But oh, how we as sinners have awfully twisted this good gift. If we were to examine the course of history this morning, it would not take long at all for our hearts to grieve at the atrocities that have taken place as humans have created divisions out of the sinful desires of their hearts. Our passage this morning, it clearly brings to mind the divide between humanity which has plagued just about the entire course of human history. The first thing that we'll see in our passage is that we were separated from God and separated from his people. While from the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed wonderful intimacy and harmonious relationship in the garden, we then see the introduction of sin and it caused this great divide between them right from that instant. And of course, we know this divide has only continued to get worse and worse. See, although we are all made in the image of God, although we are all ultimately brothers and sisters from the same parents, although it is in all of our best interests to love our neighbour as ourself, our inherently sinful nature leads us to put up barriers, divisions between those who are not like us. Ungodly divisions, not good ones like the cutlery drawer, but ones that are elitist, sexist, racist. And I think the most of us, we do this in one way or another, don't we? Just because we might not be Hitler or be part of colonial Britain or be, have taken part in the American slave trade, We all have this sin that works itself out in us in one way or another. It can present itself in small ways, like keeping conversations short with those who might make you feel uncomfortable because they're different to you. Or perhaps it may present itself in more significant ways, like thinking less of someone because of the colour of their skin. Our sinful nature, which we saw in verses 1 to 3 last week, has deeply affected the way that we relate to one another as human beings. It's created unbelievable hurt 
and pain and division between us over the course of human history. And the biblical narrative, it testifies to this, doesn't it? God, in his mercy and kindness, drew near to Abraham and made a covenant with him to bless him and to make him a great nation. And God did this so that Abraham would be a blessing to all of the nations. God kept his promises to Abraham, bringing the nation of Israel out of, Mount, out of slavery to Egypt and then forming them into a nation at Mount Sinai. He gave them his law through Moses and commanded them to be a holy nation and separate from all the pagan nations around them. And there was something good and right to this. That if you were not circumcised, that if you did not obey God's law, that if you did not turn from idolatry, then you could not be one of God's people. But God did this so that Israel would call the nations around them to worship Yahweh as their one true God. And though, how did sinful Israel respond to this call instead? Instead of leveraging their privileged position as God's chosen people to be a blessing, to call the nations to repentance, they instead strengthened this divide and left the nations for destruction. Israel was meant to be a vine of blessing, the light of the world. But instead, sin increased the divide, making Jews and Gentiles hostile towards one another. And there's a, there's a great tension in this, isn't there? God chose to save Israel, but it led to great division, great hostility, great enmity between Jews and Gentiles. The commands which God gave to Israel only furthered this divide, didn't they? Now, does this make God's commands immoral or wrong? Of course not. It was by grace that God chose the nation of Israel. What we have read in our passage, particularly here in verses 11 and 12, is only right that this division between Gentile and Jew is a necessary division, as strange as that may seem. Have a look with me here in verses 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul's saying that all Gentiles, anybody who was not Jewish, were uncircumcised, separated from Israel, aliens to the commonwealth, of Israel, separated from Christ, aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants, hopeless and godless. Put simply, they were not God's people. Now, is all of this purely because they were not ethnically Jewish? I think if, if we had a bit more time, we could nuance the answer a little bit, but I think the, Paul is, the point that Paul is making here is yes. There was a long period of salvation history where there was a very clear racial division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul gives good reasons for this. 
Firstly, the, Jews, uh, the Gentiles were not circumcised. Now, this might seem absolutely bizarre, and I reckon that most of the ancient Gentile world thought that the Jews were totally strange for doing this. But God commanded Abraham in Genesis 17 to be circumcised along with all of his household and any future member of his family to be circumcised as a mark of being in covenant relationship with God. See, to be circumcised was not just a preference choice or a tradition. It was the clear sign that you were a part of God's chosen people. And so the Jews referred to the Gentiles literally as the uncircumcision. They did not use this term kindly. It was extremely derogatory. Although probably not that the Gentiles cared too much about it. Paul goes on to elaborate what this means, that Gentiles were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. The Jews were God's people and the Gentiles had no part in it. They were not welcome. They had no hope. They were without God. Now this might seem quite strange to many of us today because I would imagine that the vast majority of us sitting here this morning are not ethnically Jewish. We do not see the world as being divided between Jews and Gentiles, but it's clear in Scripture that this was the most fundamental reality for a long time. We might, in fact, take it for granted or perhaps not know that the history of God's people stretches far back far, far longer than you, know, you having been born uh, or this building having been built, or back further than the reformation of the church 500 years ago, even, I would argue, further back than Jesus Christ himself coming 2,000 years ago. The scriptures witness to us that God has been drawing his people to himself for much, much longer than that. And Paul says that we must remember that there was a time that every Gentile, and that includes me, and that probably includes you, that we did not belong to God's people. There was a great divide. And quite similar to last week's passage, Paul shows us what we were as Gentiles and then introduces to us the most wonderful news of what God has done for us. We were once separated from Christ, from his chosen ethnic people, strangers to the covenants, hopeless and godless. And then in verse 13, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This, friends, is the death of division where the most fundamental divide between humanity was that of an ethnic one between Jews and Gentiles, that has been broken down in Christ. We who were far off have now been brought near. And as we keep reading in verse 14, we see how Jesus has done this for us. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Where this division had produced resentment, hostility, contempt, derision, Jesus came and destroyed all of it through the cross. For what Jesus did on the cross was he fulfilled the perfect righteousness of the law and he bore its curse on behalf of his people who actually deserved it instead of him. You see, it was most fundamentally God's law which separated Jews from Gentiles. This is what Paul is saying. The cause of the hostility is what Paul describes in verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. For a time, God deemed it right and necessary that his people be marked out by what the law entailed. Circumcision, food laws, the Sabbath, the civil law, the sacrificial system. It was so much more than just the Ten Commandments, but very, very specific applications of those Ten Commandments. Jews and Gentiles, they were divided by the law of God because of the social and cultural separation which came with its commands. But Jesus Christ came to abolish. Perhaps a better translation of that word ought to be he nullified, which means that he caused the law to lose its effectiveness and he made it invalid by fulfilling it. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? That he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill them. And by fulfilling them, he has nullified them. He has loosened its grip on us. And this is how he himself is our peace. This is so much more than him just being my peace or Chanel's peace or David's peace or Lee's peace. He is the peace between Jews and Gentiles. And that means that he is our peace between one another. This is what we see, secondly, that Christ has reconciled us to God and so he has reconciled us to each other. Jesus Christ, he went to the cross. He went bearing our sin and our shame so that he can pay the price, so that he would reconcile us to God, bringing death to our division between us and God, but he also has done it so that he would reconcile us to each other, bringing death to our division between one another. Look again with me at verses 15 and 16. He did this that he might create in himself one new man or one new humanity in the place of the two, so making peace and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus died to reconcile us to one another, friends. Not only to break down in his, in his flesh the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, but also to break down the great many other walls which we put up between us and those who are not like us. You see, Jesus has deemed that there ought not to be a single kind of person 
who might not be able to come and receive his grace in forgiveness and his peace by the cross. It doesn't matter who you are. The message of the gospel is for all who will hear it and be willing to believe it. For if Christ can remove this great divide between Jews and Gentiles, which lasted thousands of years, then there is absolutely nothing which can stand in the way of someone coming to faith and be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to his people who belong to him. And so, church, this reality must mark us as the new people of God. If Jesus really has made us one new humanity, which has been united to himself by the Spirit and is calling all peoples to turn in repentance and faith to be reconciled to God and to each other, then we must be a people that is marked by reconciliation. We must be known as a church that reconciles one person to another. We ought to display to this broken and divided world around us that peace can be found. True peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. And that true and lasting peace, genuine reconciliation and forgiveness, this can only be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that our culture and society they try to offer these counterfeit versions of peace, don't they? Our souls, they so long for this restoration and peace of relationships with one another that it's just foolishness to offer it apart from Jesus. It cannot be found. It won't be found in parades. It won't be found in the media. It won't be found in ceremonies. It can only be found in coming to Jesus. For he himself is our peace. Only as we bow the knee before Jesus, as we trust in him as our highest good before all others, as we conform to what he knows what is best for us because he made us, only then can our relationships with one another be restored because he has removed anything that stands in the way of reconciliation. I certainly don't mean to be trite at all or to diminish the reality of our experiences, but let us think about some of the things that we might think stands between us as those who belong to Jesus. Has someone deeply hurt you? Christ has paid for that sin and full justice has been carried out on the cross. And so we can forgive because he has forgiven us. Is someone so radically different to you that it makes you uncomfortable to be around them? Christ came to love the unlovable. He has welcomed even us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. And even more than that, he has now filled our hearts with his love and he has called us to love one another just as he has loved us. 
Perhaps we think less of someone because they don't live up to our expectations or standards. How dare we? For not only is that person made in the image of God, but Christ has purchased them with his blood and he has united them to himself, just as he has done the same for us. This power of reconciliation is something the church must appreciate as one of the most concrete ways to display that God is at work amongst us. We must be an example of the powerful love of God at work amongst us as Christ reconciles us to God and as he reconciles us to one another. Now, I dare not speak with any authority on the horrors of the white people's treatment of the indigenous people in this nation. It breaks my heart to see that those who settled here while claiming to be part of the church, that they would treat fellow human beings in such an awful manner. My words, it cannot do justice to speak of it. But friends... The blood of Christ was spilled to reconcile us to one another. Christ hung on that tree so that we would no longer be white people over here and black people over there and Asian people over there, but that we would be one near humanity, reconciled to one another, healed and whole. No divisions, no more grievances, no more hurt and no more pain. Jesus, he calls all the nations to himself so that he might reconcile all of us to God in one body through the cross. What good news is this church, Lord? What good news is this church? That we have a far greater hope than any other worldview has to offer. Jesus, he levels the playing field between all of us that no one person is greater than the other, and he draws us all to himself as he has been lifted high on the cross. His arms are wide open in love for all of his people from all of the nations. There is true reconciliation to be found, church, because of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. A couple of months ago, uh, I had the pleasure of being able to fly up to Broome uh, with a team from the Bible college that I'm at, and I wanted to go so that I could uh, learn from those who are seeking to share the gospel uh, with the indigenous people up there. And there was one moment which I'll never forget. Uh, on the Monday morning, the pastor of the People's Church um, up there, uh, he would gather uh, yeah, a bunch of men uh, under a tree on the main oval in town, um, and maybe a dozen men or so would gather uh, to sing songs and to hear from God's word and to pray for one another. Uh, and myself and a few other uh, men from the team had the privilege of joining in this gathering under the tree on the oval. And as we sang together and as we prayed for one another and as we encouraged one another in God's word, friends, let me tell you that there was not an ounce of division between us. We could embrace one another as dear brothers 
in Christ. Free and forgiven by our King and free to love each other as we have been loved by him. It was just so precious. And afterwards, one of my friends said to me that this surely is what true reconciliation ought to look like. Might we all long to live out this reconciliation which Christ has won for us, church? We live in possibly not only the most multicultural nation, but even the most multicultural part of Perth. And we have the hope of the gospel to share with all peoples that live here that true reconciliation to God and to one another can be found in Jesus. So let us hold it out, welcoming all who would come. Just as Jesus came and preached, peace to you who were far off and peace to you who are near, may we do the same. For through him, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ has reconciled us to God and therefore he has reconciled us to one another. As we consider the final few verses of our passage, Paul helps us to see that because Christ has reconciled us to each other, the church is now the dwelling place of God. The nature of our salvation, it just keeps getting better and better as we read Ephesians 2, doesn't it? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ. We were strangers and aliens, but now we have been reconciled to God. We were far off, but now we have been brought near. We were at enmity with the people of God, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and members with the household of God. We were hopeless and godless, but now we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Let's read through verses 19 to 22 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, once again, we have Christ Jesus who's at the centre of our salvation, don't we? And quite literally in Paul's imagery, Paul, he pictures the household of God as a building that is built upon the New Testament apostles and prophets as they proclaim the good news of the gospel. And with the foundation of the gospel laid, Jesus is the cornerstone. He is that first block which is to be placed upon the foundation to which every other stone that will be laid will find its reference point to it. Jesus, he is literally the one who knits us all together. He is the one whom we are building ourselves around. And so, church, the day that Jesus stops being the focus of all that we are doing is the day that we stop being a church. We might keep church in our name. People might come here thinking that they are going to church. 
We might look and somewhat feel like a church, but without Jesus, we are no church, friends, but a mere imposter. Jesus must be at the center of all that we do because he is at the center of the universal, the spiritual church, the one which every true believer belongs to and is being built up into. We noticed this language in our passage last week as well, but again in these verses we have three references speaking of our spiritual union with Christ. It is in him that the whole structure is being joined together. It is in the Lord that we grow into a holy people. It is in him that we are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this, again, is why Jesus is our peace. It is how he has reconciled us to one another. It is how he will present us to God as a bride, spotless and without blemish. Because we have been joined to Christ. We together are his body. Again, it is so mysterious and it's incredible and difficult to wrap our heads around when all we know is this physical realm. But one day our faith will give way to sight. And what a day that will be, brothers and sisters. It's pertinent as well that we notice the corporate nature of our salvation in this passage. These verses, I think they totally push back against the common trend of people treating their Christianity as all about and Jesus, and so I don't need the church. Now, yes, the Spirit indwells each of us individually. Yes, we have been blessed with a personal relationship with the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. But what Paul is saying here is that even more fundamental than those realities, we have been made into one new humanity. And that together we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Together we are being built into a dwelling place for God. We are not the only son or daughter that God has. We actually belong to an unbelievably huge, multi-ethnic, ever-growing family. We are not individual bodies, but we are spoken of as being one body. And this is why the church is so precious. This is why we need the local church. This is why we need moments just like this one that we're sharing right now, sitting together, hearing from God's word, worshipping him, taking the Lord's Supper together, having fellowship with one another. This is why we need men's ministries and women's ministries. We need kids and we need youth. We need small groups and golden ages and play groups and craft groups. The life of the church is so vital because it is in these ordinary means that God is growing us into a holy temple in the Lord. He grows us both in maturity and in number, as by his grace he draws more and more people through the gospel, and he grows us more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so this is why we, ch we preach the gospel every week. It must never get old. 
It must never be like the train going past out the front there, which we can so easily zone out. But we must keep Christ at the centre of who we are at GBC because of who he is and because of all that he has done for us. So let me ask you, are you in line with the cornerstone? Do you find your reference point in him? Are you part of the building, the household of God? Not merely coming along to a local visible church, but are you also spiritually part of God's universal church, which he is growing into a holy temple? And do you rejoice and delight in the truth that you belong to the people of God? We ought to. For the church is so precious to God so precious that he sent his only son to die for it. So precious that he deemed it good and necessary in his eternal plans that he would dwell in us for all of eternity. He is growing us into a holy temple that we would be fit for him to dwell in us and so that we might experience the fullness of his glory to the praise of his glorious grace. May that cause us to embrace one another with joy that Christ has done these things for us. Uh, Something rather amazing happened to me this morning as I was doing some final preparation. I was just about to upload my slides and put my sermon onto my iPad when I get this little notification um, that popped up from my calendar. Uh, And it's just one of those generic ones, you know, which tells you about the various public holidays and stuff. yeah, that happen in the country that you live in. Uh, And what popped up, do you know what tomorrow is in the ACT? It's Reconciliation Day. And I thought, huh, every Sunday when we gather is Reconciliation Day as God's people. Every Sunday when we gather, we celebrate being reconciled to God and being reconciled to one another. What great news it is, church, that every divide has been broken down in Christ. What great news it is that there is full reconciliation available between us and God and us and one another. What great news it is that we have been united to Christ And that we, as his body, we are growing in number and in maturity to be fit to be a holy temple, the dwelling place for God. Let me close in prayer and let us sing and praise our Lord Jesus in response to all that we've heard from him this morning. Gracious Father, thank you for your amazing love with which you've loved us. Thank you for the rich mercy and grace and kindness that you've lavished upon us in not only reconciling us to you, but reconciling us to one another. That we would have joy in Christ, that we would be a people that is marked by true forgiveness, true peace, true reconciliation. And Lord, that we would be a witness to the world around us, that we would be 
a light that shines in the darkness and that we would hold out this hope of the gospel to those around us. Lord, would you please do a great work in each of us, that you would bring to mind those that we might be at odds with within the body. Lord, would you give us grace to seek reconciliation with them, that your love might work powerfully within us and between us, that we might display the great work that you've done within us amongst each other. We need your help in this, Lord. So please take your word, please seal it upon our hearts now and help us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.